The Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative at Duke Divinity School convened a gathering in March 2017 titled Taking Our Meds Faithfully, Christian Engagements with Psychiatric Medication, supported by the McDonald Agape Foundation. We invite you to join us for some of these conversations. My name is Brett McCarty. I'm a doctoral candidate here at Duke Divinity School, and I work closely with the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative. And I'm joined today by Dr. Warren Kinghorn, Associate Research Professor of Psychiatry and Pastoral Moral Theology here at the Divinity School. Warren's also um, the co-director of the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative. It's a great pleasure to be talking with you today, Warren. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, I'd love for you to tell us a bit about your own vocation. Um, how did you come to be both a theologian teaching in the Divinity School and a psychiatrist practicing in Durham's VA hospital? How do you bring those two aspects of your work and your life together? Yeah, great question. Yeah. Well, I am a psychiatrist. I have the pleasure of working within the VA system at the Durham VA Medical Center. I work here at Duke in dual roles, both as a faculty member in the Medical Center and also here at the Divinity School, uh, where I teach in Christian ethics and pastoral theology. And that's really a great pleasure for me. In my own case, I, I didn't start by having an interest in psychiatry, but I, it, that became increasingly clear that that's, that's what I was called to do. Um, but I, I started in medical school and began to realize that although I was able to read the medical literature as a first-year medical student, I didn't really have a good sense of what I was doing theologically. So I, I had an experience shadowing in an alcohol detox facility in Boston where I was in school and realized that there were these men who were talking to me about having lost their control over using alcohol and they didn't want to drink, but they did drink and they didn't understand why they did. And, and I started to think, how does that relate to Christian concepts of will and sin and freedom? And, and I realized that the Christian faith had an awful lot to say about that, dating back hundreds, even thousands of years. And I wanted to know more about that. And that began my, my wanting to think deeply theologically about what it meant to be a physician to what it meant to work uh, with people, to what it meant to, to care for people well. And that's, that's what's led me to, to my present role. As a psychiatrist, um, I, I'm a Christian who's a psychiatrist. Uh, I don't practice a distinctively Christian form of psychiatry. Uh, I practice in the VA system. But uh, one of the things, one of the ways it makes a difference for me is that um, being a Christian, I think, is a call for all of us in healthcare to see each person is being made and created with dignity in the image of God, to see each person as needing uh, uh, the respect and dignity that's accorded to God's creatures, uh, to, um, to not focus so much on biomedical models of the self or of illness or of the body that we lose sight of the larger ways that we're all bound together with each other and in creation. So it's, it's allowed me to have a broader vision, I think, of what happens in healthcare. particular in your work is you've tried to bring together Christian faith and theology with the practice of psychiatry. You've drawn from the work of Thomas Aquinas to bring him in conversation with the practices and concerns of psychiatry. I was wondering if you could say a bit about that. I am very uh, influenced by St. Thomas Aquinas who lived from 1225 to 1274. He was a, a, a monk, a professor, a teacher. He wrote uh, commentaries on scripture and on lots of philosophical works. And his best uh, known work is the Summa Theologiae, 
which is a, a pretty comprehensive journey through Christian theology. Um, one of the things that I love about St. Thomas Aquinas is that he had, um, despite all of his philosophical complexity, he had a deep um, reverence for, uh, for, for Christ, a deep sense of the beauty of the human person created in the image of God, um, and a deep sense of the, the freedom that can come through following, uh, following Christ. And that's reflected in his prayers and in his hymns. Um, and he also was deeply attentive to the that we're physical bodies. We, we live and breathe as bodies. And we are subject to all of the body's limitations and illnesses. And, and yet within that, we can then be formed uh, in grace to be those that are drawn into the goodness and beauty and praise of God. So there's this vision of Aquinas of, of a self that is called by God into freedom, into life, into agency, uh, appreciating the goodness of creation, appreciating the goodness of God, and finding ourselves in God, in what Aquinas would have called the, the beatific vision of God, where we stand in awe before God's um, grandeur and, and glory. So it's both a very practical uh, imagination about what it means to live as a human body, and also this, this deeply theological view of us called into uh, the glory and praise of God. Yeah, that's lovely. So say a bit about how you see that vision of what it means to be human in relation to God as it relates to the theory and practices around psychiatry. Yeah, so psychiatry is, you know, literally just means the, the branch of medicine, iatros, that uh, has to do with the, the life or the soul. So literally be um, uh, suke or psyche combined with doctor, and that's what a psychiatrist is. Um, so a psychiatrist is not just one who medicates bodies, not just one who thinks about bodies, but one who's accountable for, uh, uh, for, for walking alongside people that have um, challenges that don't seem to be reducible to the body, that seem to be somehow affecting who we are as human beings, the way that we are in relationship to others, the way that we're in relationship to ourselves, the way that we react to the world around us. And, uh, and so psychiatry can never be uh, solely a reductive medical discipline. It always has to be seen in this larger context of what does it mean not just to be biological entities, but what does it mean for us to be persons in relation with other persons and with God. A psychiatrist has to have a broad view of, of human beings, even as we then focus on these bodily details like hormones and, and electrolytes and neurotransmitters and, 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 and brain imaging studies and, and the like. Um, Aquinas, I think, reminds us of that. He, he was, as I said, deeply aware of how the brain can influence uh, behavior, the way the brain can influence experience and emotion. Um, he, had, uh, he understood that there are people who have clear bio clearly biological reasons for, um, for various forms of what we would now call mental illness. But it was, it's within that. It's, it's, it's God meeting us in the conditions and state of our bodies that we're called into this life of, of freedom uh, through grace. And it's Aquinas' ability to, to have both a, a biological and a theological vision for that, which I find so deeply beautiful and compelling. Yeah, great. Well, so say a bit more about freedom, particularly in Aquinas' conception of what that might look like and how that intersects with our contemporary culture's understandings of freedom, particularly as you practice psychiatry, maybe there may be some stories of your own patients that come to mind and those contrasting or complementary views of freedom. Yeah, Aquinas believed that we are, are, are born innately endowed with something that he called free decision or free choice. Um, the, the Latin term would be liberum arbitrium. And 
But that's a pretty limited good for Aquinas. Free choice or free decision is basically our ability as human beings to choose one thing over the other. So it's pretty close to what we would call just choice. Um, but simply to be able to choose one thing over the other doesn't give you the ability to consistently know and do what's good. It just allows you in any given moment to, to decide that one good is, is better than the other. Um, we, can be, we can have this preserved free choice, but yet be deeply bound to sin, uh, to, um, to patterns of living that are not good for us. Uh, for Aquinas, true freedom, what he called uh, you know, liberty or true freedom, was not just an ability to choose one thing rather than the other, but it was the ability to, to know and to do that which is consistent with our good and with our good in God. Aquinas had an understanding that human beings are, are rational creatures, which nowadays, that, there's problems with that because it, it seems to really marginalize people with intellectual disability especially. If, if human beings are rational creatures, then what does that say about those who don't have the ability to exercise rationality in the way that we mean it or that we intend it? The way that I read Aquinas when he talks about rationality, it has much less to do with being, with being academically gifted or with being able to use words in sophisticated ways or do syllogisms. It has much more to do with the, the, the ability to live in conformity with God's ratio, God's ordering of the world. Uh, to, to live in, in conformity with God in a God-formed life. And that for Aquinas is ultimately demonstrated in the life of Jesus. So to be drawn into Christ, to be living a life consistent with the life of Christ, to be formed to love those things that God loves and to, to love those whom God loves, that's what it means for Aquinas to be rational, whether you're, whether you're um, someone who our culture would consider sort of a, a rational person or not. Let's turn to the specific focus of this conference and the wise use of psychiatric medication. How can you think about um, some of the goods of psychiatric medication and also perhaps some of the ways that that medication may even at times get in the way of our freedom and agency? I can think of, th of several ways which, consistent with the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas, medications might actually be really helpful in, uh, in, in encouraging agency. I might say a, a bit about what Aquinas means by agency yeah. and about how we develop as, as agents. Um, uh, St. Thomas, in uh, the introduction to the long part of the Summa Theologiae where he's talking about the return of the human to God or the, or the, the way of the human to, the, the, the journey of the human to God, he talks about humans as, as being the principia of our actions. Um, and that word principium is a, a kind of a technical Latin word that just means origin. But in this case, I think it means the originating seat of our actions. That, um, that Aquinas understands the human naturally as someone who is to be the, the seat, the headquarters of what we do, to be more and more the seat of what we do. And, and if we're um, um, bound in patterns of responding and patterns of acting that don't give us freedom, then we actually have kind of limited ability to do that. We feel tossed about. We feel like we're not uh, able to, to direct ourselves, to have, have um, uh, control in our relationships, um, we don't have freedom. So for Aquinas then, the human life at its best is this ongoing journey to, in an ongoing way to be the seat of our action. That's not to be an autonomous individual as if we're separate from others. It's very different from the modern sense of autonomy, being one's self-ruler. 
Because the way that we develop more and more into the originating seat, the headquarters of our, of our action, to become agents is, to, um, is to, to be actually more and more drawn into what's good. Uh, we we uh, learn to, tra- our, our emotions, our passions become trained to reflect those things that are really good for us so that if I desire uh, something or someone, I can increasingly trust my emotions as, as being trustworthy, drawing me to what's good for me. If I'm anxious or afraid or if I'm sad or if I'm angry, then I can, th- that has an important sign value. So I can say, what is it that this says about my loves? And, what is, and is this something that is, is actually rightly warning me of something that's not good for me? So that for Aquinas, um, as we're drawn further and further into, um, into loving, into knowing, into doing what's good, as we're formed in habits that are contributing to our, our own health and flourishing and the flourishing of our communities in God, which Aquinas calls virtues, then, we be, then our emotions become more and more trustworthy. Um, this never happens completely in this life, but they become more and more trustworthy, and our ways of responding become more and more healthy on, as a whole, and therefore we become more and more free to be ourselves. So for Aquinas to be an agent is not to be an autonomous individual, completely unrelated to other people, but it's to be free to know and to do the good. Uh, and that has all to do with, uh, with not only our ability to be called into those things that are truly good for us, but with God's grace that alone is what enables us to be truly free. You just started to do this some, but I wonder if you could say a bit more about um, drawing together Aquinas' anthropology, his understanding of what it means to be human, and some ways that we uh, talk about mental illness and, um, and uh, certain types of disorders. And so... Uh, in your paper, I really appreciate the ways in which you you bring those two together in an effort to uh, aim toward offering wisdom and counsel and uh, possibilities for discernment to practitioners. I was wondering if you could say a bit about about bringing those together. Yeah, I see all of um, well a few principles I think that are helpful in thinking with Aquinas about about mental illness. One is that humans most, the the fundamental image that Aquinas uses for human beings is that of wayfarers or journeyers, viators, he says. And that means that all of us as humans are those who are on a journey. We come from God as our creator and source. We are on a journey to God as our final end and and the, the, the source of our happiness. And so we're all on this journey from God to God. And, um, and that is, is a, a journey that's always um, filled with challenges for, for all of us. And so the right way to respond to any of us that are on this journey, uh, which is everyone in this life, is to, is to always say, what's needed right now for the journey? What is it that this person needs right now? Uh, whether that's um, medication, whether that's prayer, whether that's a meal, whether that's a job, whether that's a home, um, whether that's to be out of an abusive relationship, what's consistent with the journey of this person to God. Um, another principle is that mental illness as a whole is uh, a, always a biosocial reality. We're, we're bodies who are in relationship to others, and that means that the way that we suffer as bodies, especially in the forms of suffering, what we call mental illness, always relates both to our bodies and also to the way that our bodies, uh, that our embodied selves are relating t- to others in culture and in relationships and families and, and that kind of thing. So given uh, Aquinas' account of agency and freedom, how might that relate to concerns about the wise and good use of psychiatric medication? Yeah. So three ways that psychiatric medication, I think, can actually really encourage agency and, and would be 
in, in, some, in at least some cases appropriate. One is that when there's evidence that, uh, that the body is in some way not appropriately supporting a person's ability to, to feel in a way that's, that's appropriate to a situation, or in a way to act in a way that's appropriate to a situation. Sometimes our, our bodies um, deceive us, they fail us, and that might be through very particular ways that the brain is not working right. So someone who is in the middle of a psychotic episode or bipolar mania or a melancholic depression, there's lots of reasons that the body is just not sending the right signals to the person about how best to respond in a situation. It's, it's the body's um, keeping us from, from actually acting in a way that's consistent with our good. In that way, medications that may not always reverse the underlying cause but can help to uh, allow the body to support the, the, the right functioning of emotion, the right functioning of our practical reason can be very helpful, I think, in encouraging agency. Another way that medications can encourage agency is um, that sometimes when people are suffering, uh, that suffering is so extreme that it has sort of no real practical moral value. Um, this is when, when people are so weighed down by sadness or by depression, by anxiety, it, we, we can become so overwhelmed with that that almost we're unable to, 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 to act. And, and in that case, medication can be helpful, I think, in helping to reduce that burden, to give people more space to be able to act. And Aquinas actually very clearly described this in the Summa. He, he, he talked about suffering which can, um, can paralyze the soul. And uh, he recommended interventions like sleep and like bathing or good care of the body in order to get the, get the fluids of the body moving again to be able to reduce some of this excessive or immoderate uh, sadness or suffering. Medication that can do that to provide us a space to be able to act, I think, is really important. Um, I think also, and I'm much more ambivalent about this, but I think sometimes medications can actually be helpful in allowing us to develop healthy patterns of response or to even acquire uh, what Aquinas would call virtue. Think of the example, for example, of naltrexone, which is a medication that I use with my patients with alcohol use disorder. It's a, it blocks opioid receptors, but it happens in people who are using alcohol in an addictive way to uh, block the reward that people get from drinking. And so what you find is that when people who are struggling with excessive drinking take naltrexone, they end up drinking less overall. They have more days when they're not drinking. They have less complications associated with drinking. And, uh, and, and so I use it. It's actually a quite well-proven well treatment for alcohol use disorder. Now, how to understand that theologically? It's hard to see naltrexone there is doing anything other than um, helping to contribute to the right kinds of patterns of response by kind of breaking that cycle of addiction for someone. In that case, I think it's a medication that is helping to, in this case, break a, 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 an unhealthy pattern of action and to help the person generate, create more healthy patterns of, of action by making alcohol less rewarding. I think sometimes there can be a role for that with respect to medication. And are there um, particular ways that uh, psychiatric medication could actually uh, be detrimental for agency and freedom, or maybe some warning signs that you want to indicate? Yeah, you know, I want to be really careful in yeah. saying medications are somehow intrinsically mm -hmm. not, you know, contributing to freedom. Yeah. Uh, medications can be life preserving. They can um, they can be um, incredibly helpful and important for people, especially who are in really severe um, periods of depression or have incapacitating anxiety or other forms of, of mental illness. Um, I do worry sometimes, not usually about medications themselves, but about the kind of practices and the, the thoughts and beliefs that go along with medication use. 
might be that a medication itself might not be the problem, but that the assumptions that are generated when we turn to medication or the way that we psychiatrists talk about medication might actually not be helpful. Um, three ways in which I could see there at least being possible, possible concerns or problems. Um, one is that if medications function in a way not that gives us the space to be able to act creatively in, to respond to challenges, but if they act in a way that simply tries to kind of tamp down or blunt our emotional responses so that we don't feel the need to respond or that we no longer feel enough to know even how to respond, then that wouldn't actually be good because medications ought to be a way to help facilitate our ability to act as free agents in the world, not in a way that blunts that. One thing that I worry with clinicians, though, is actually a much more, I think, serious worry is that, you know, psychiatrists like to, you know, all, all doctors, like, when, when a patient comes to you who is suffering and asking for something, you want to feel like you've done something. And so if, if I send out a patient without having done something, I feel like I've somehow, you know, done wrong by that patient. Now, medication prescribing is a pretty easy thing you can do for someone who's depressed or who's anxious or other things. So if someone comes to me and they meet certain criteria for depression, I can prescribe an antidepressant and I can put that in my treatment plan as having done something for the patient. Now, I know all too well that as a psychiatrist, it's possible, I try not to do this, but it's possible to see someone who's depressed, to realize that they meet certain symptoms of depression, like lack of you know, difficulty sleeping, poor energy, um, feelings of guilt, maybe even thoughts of suicide, and to check off enough boxes to know that they're depressed and to prescribe an antidepressant and to send the person out having done something but not actually having attended at all to the context in which they are experiencing their depression. Uh, and I think that that's not how most uh, psychiatrists and primary care physicians and other prescribers function, but it does happen, and it's a temptation for all of us. So to the extent that, that the availability of medications can actually make it harder for uh, clinicians and patients together to think about broader cultural, social, relational context, I think that, I think that can be a problem. Like another thing that, um, that, that is a potential problem is that medications tend to encourage biological models of mental illness because I mean, if you're taking something, a, a chemical, into your body and it's making a difference, then the, the idea is that that must mean that mental illness is related to what's happening in the body. And of course that's true. It's true that all mental disorders are in some ways bodily, physical uh, disorders. Insofar as we are body-soul unities, we're always, we live in the world as bodies, as living bodies, and that's who we are. Um, but it turns out that there's actually some, some hidden costs maybe associated with that way of thinking. Often people think that if, if uh, you think of mental illness as a biological reality, that that's going to destigmatize it because it just makes it like any other bodily illness. And it turns out that when this has been looked at by some social psychologists, that does happen. If, if people with mental illness come to understand their illness as a, a bodily problem, then people do feel less shame and less stigma. Same way others feel less, uh, tend to blame people less for their challenges if they understand them as biological illnesses. But in at least a couple of recent uh, systematic reviews, that positive benefit of maybe having you know, less shame and stigma associated with mental illness was offset by the fact that when people uh, understood mental illness biologically, they were, they were less optimistic about their own recovery. And, they, and there was a, uh, there's a, a, a move in the literature to suggest that um, other people might desire more distance from the person with mental illness.
what does it mean for the gospel to be good news in the context of mental illness and psychiatric medication? Several ways I think that the gospel is deeply important. One, because for St. Thomas Aquinas, because Jesus is the, the exemplar, is the one whom we're to imitate and to participate in and to pursue, that uh, we, can, we can see uh, ourselves as Christians as being called into Jesus' life. That's not a life of like independence, complete freedom from suffering, you know, complete bodily perfection in every way. It's a life that's marked by being given in and for others, a life that's marked by being given in and for God. That that's what we're called to, and that's, and that's, that's the, the goal of our lives. And people who live with mental illness are called into that just as all of us are, as our colleague John Swinton says, called to be disciples. Um, and, that, and it's deeply important. I think also the gospel is a gospel of healing. You know, salvation, um, both in the Greek and the Latin, uh, relates to healing. So we get the word salve from the same root that we get salvation from. Uh, uh, God has come in Christ to heal us of our sin and of our weaknesses, and that we're called into God's, uh, God's freedom uh, in and through the, the work of Jesus Christ. I think also insofar as we live together in and through the body of Christ, we're called to be members of each other, to contribute to each other's healing, to mediate grace to each other. And that's, that's also really good news for people with, with mental illness. And, uh, and because we are embodied beings, um, God has given us the, the, the things of creation to be aids for us. And uh, to the extent that some of those things of creation can be uh, made into medications that can be helpful, that can help to contribute to agency, that can help to make it possible for us to then uh, live as free acting persons in the world, then that can be received as a gift of God. Oftentimes there's a deep concern about access and so the, the primary motivation is making sure someone uh, gets seen by a psychiatrist or some type of healthcare professional. Um, and, I, and I definitely think that's important. But, but I worry a bit that sometimes uh, within churches, it's almost as if the church's responsibility is over as long as they've made sure access has occurred. And, and given all that you've said about the importance um, for theological context for understanding what good judgments might be, both for clinicians and for persons with mental illness, what might be some of the kind of responsibilities and, and joyful duties of churches to both clinicians and persons with mental illness? Yeah, so access to good health care is important. I mean, that's, that's a kind of foundational thing I think that all of us in the United States should be working toward. Uh, but uh, access alone, as if, as if uh, someone's mental health needs are somehow met the minute that they see a clinician, is, um, it, it's, it's not the end, it's only the beginning. So uh, a, a congregation, a group of Christians who care for each other, uh, need to continue to walk alongside each other in the context of living with mental illness. Um, at best, a clinician, whether that's a psychotherapist or a prescribing clinician or both, uh, can be one additional person to walk alongside the one who's on a journey to provide certain kinds of comfort, certain kinds of supports. But we as psychiatrists can't do everything. And uh, we shouldn't think that we can do everything. We shouldn't even give any, any, any thought that we can do everything. Um, in fact, you know, I will never be, as a psychiatrist, as close geographically or relationally or personally to my patients that I see as um, any member of their own congregation would be in some ways. That, um, that we have a, an obligation and a responsibility uh, to each other in our local communities to continue to, to, to walk alongside each other, to be communities of support and communities of discernment, I think. That's is really deeply important. 
So a question about should I take medication, um, um, hopefully in the best sense, would be one that could be brought to Christian friends and colleagues that, are, that can be trusted to help make sense of that, of that question. And, uh, you know, sometimes when people are really deeply struggling with mental illness, like there's so much shame and stigma associated with that that people don't want to take medication. And actually bringing it to other Christians can actually be not a source of increasing shame and stigma in the best sense, but could be a way of, of other Christians saying, you know, I think it makes sense maybe for you to take medications here, but we're not going to abandon you to this, these medical ideas. We're going to keep walking with you keep discerning with you what we see in you, what's happening with you. And, and that, that can be ongoing discernment about what medications are appropriate, when to start medication, when to stop medication. Uh, that can be best done in community. Great. Warren, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. I, I wish you every blessing with your work. Thank you very much. Thank you. For further interviews and other resources on Christian engagements with psychiatric medications, please visit our website, tmc.divinity.duke.edu.